his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Welcome to Beyond Black History Month. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. I've been thinking a lot about the Juneteenth celebrations that happened during those first few years after slavery ended. Those joyous times, people singing, friends chatting, and parents watching their children play games, hopeful for the future. Then it hit me. What about those moms who didn't have their children because they were ripped away and sold during slavery? Were they celebrating on Juneteenth? The husband who hadn't hugged his wife in years or the teenager who hadn't seen his mom in so long he can't remember her face? How do you celebrate when the person you most want to be with is somewhere in this world but who knows where and there's virtually no resources to find them? This is the story of how black families never gave up hope they would reconnect and how ink, paper, and the pulpit put their families back together. So actually, uh, so one quick question. That's that's helpful information. Yeah, yeah. So. Meet Reverend Mark Kelly Tyler. He's the pastor of Mother Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. It's the oldest AME church in the nation. Mother Bethel has literally witnessed every part of the American experience. Including the hypocrisy. It formed in 1787, not because of theological issues, but racial ones. Mother Bethel began with a walkout from segregated pews. Black worshipers were tired of being forced to sit in balconies at white churches. And they said, we will not be second-class citizens. We would rather worship on the street than to worship under those conditions. He says the church spoke to the unique needs of black believers, and there were plenty of needs after emancipation. After slavery ended, many black people wanted to get out of the South because, of course, you never know, the country may change its mind and may bring slavery back. And so people began to flood the North. Often going straight to black churches for help. They help you find housing, help you find employment, help you get settled into life in the North. And help you find family members who were sold during slavery. How do you find a loved one after slavery has ended? Information wanted by a poor distressed mother who had two daughters sold. One named Mary and the other named Peggy. That was an excerpt from a wanted ad in an 1800s New Orleans newspaper. 
formerly enslaved people would place these ads in hopes of finding family members who were sold during the domestic slave trade. The next ad was placed in 1881 in the Christian Recorder newspaper, which was published by Mother Bethel AME in Philadelphia, the same church Reverend Tyler shepherds today. But in this ad, a woman named Anne Sloan is looking for her child. Information wanted of my daughter, Brawry. She is about 34 years old. I left her in Kentucky. I have heard she's in Louisville, Kentucky. Any information of her whereabouts will be thankfully received. These ads are only a few words long, but they tell powerful stories about the lengths families went through to be reunited. Excellent. And I, um, I'm pronouncing your name Thamey, is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I just it's wanted Thamey. to make sure. I didn't <laughs> Dr. Judy Giesberg is a history professor at Villanova University. She's also helping these ads come to light as the director of The Last Scene Project. They were sold about 20 years ago to Mr. Blount Robertson of Louisiana. The Last Scene Project is an effort to identify, collect, and make these ads freely available. Dr. Giesberg discovered the ads around 2007 while writing a book about Black Philadelphians and their experiences during the Civil War. These advertisements, as I recognize them, had a lot of genealogical information in them. Which also makes them helpful to African Americans today who are looking to learn more about their ancestry. Black folks often encounter a brick wall during genealogy searches. That's because prior to 1870, since black people were seen as property, they weren't counted by name in the census. These ads were a resource then and still today. For descendants of enslaved people, to fill in their family trees. When Dr. Giesberg found these ads, they were part of a subscription service of digitized black newspapers. They weren't freely available to everyone. It was mostly research facilities and colleges that had access to newspaper archives. So Dr. Giesberg started the Last Scene Project and launched a website, informationwanted.org, to ensure the ads are searchable and freely available to everyone, but especially the descendants of American slavery. What started with one ad turned into a few hundred, and then... We had an event here in Philadelphia at the Historical Society of Pennsylvania and just said, listen, we've got this website now. Here are about six or 700 of these advertisements, and we really hope that people will look at them. And then one attendee stood up and said, have you looked at the Chicago Defender? And, and my breath kind of caught because I thought, no way. You know, the Chicago Defender didn't start publishing until the 20th century. There's no way this is as big of a project as that. The Last Scene Project has archived 4,500 ads so far. Ads being placed in the Chicago Defender is significant because this shows that decades after slavery ended, people were still looking for their families. I saw one ad from the Chicago Defender from 1920. The power of these memories. So people are remembering family members that they haven't seen for 50, 60 years. Remember, some enslaved people may have only spent a few years with a sibling, child, or partner but never forgot them. They continue to hold a place in their heart and their memories. Information wanted of my brother and mother, whose name were Joe and Caroline. We belong to Tom Harvey, about 15 miles Charlotte Courthouse, Virginia. My father's name was Cupid. He died early.
An archivist at Mother Bethel, Margaret Gerardo, helped Dr. Giesberg find a lot of these ads. The importance of these ads were understood by Reverend Tyler from the jump. He's been searching for information about his ancestors for years, digging through databases and having conversations with his grandmother before she passed. She told him of a relative in the 1800s who was also a pastor. She described him and, you know, kind of just told me these vague stories of him in Arkansas. But that was all that they knew. Turns out that was his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Reverend Jesse Devine. Reverend Tyler discovered how his ancestors spoke out against slavery as early as the 1850s. So when the last seen database became searchable, he threw in his relative's name. And sure enough, J.W. Devine pops up. There's an ad that's in the Christian Recorder on March the 9th, 1867. And it just simply says, information wanted for my three children, two boys and one girl. Their names are Washington, James, and Lucy Green. Any information of them will be thankfully received by their mother, Kitty Green. They formerly belonged to Dr. Patrick, Wilkinson County, Mississippi. And then she lists her address, address Catherine Green, Allegheny City, Pennsylvania, in care of Reverend J.W. Devine, Box 19. Reverend Tyler's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather allowed those who were formerly enslaved to use his address in ads. Remembering that day when I saw his name pop up there, it was uh, a moment where, you know, just kind of just fills you with just a lot of emotion to know that somebody connected to you was, this is no longer just this historical thing that I'm reading about in a history book or watching a film, but like this is a part of my family that's helping other families try to get reunited in, you know, in the wake of the worst experience uh, in human history that we know of. Any information of her whereabouts will be thankfully received and Sloan. The most common types of ads were mothers looking for their children. Also fathers, but not as common. I think anybody who knows a history of slavery can understand how that's more, that that's difficult, but there, there are definitely fathers looking for their children. information concerning his son, William Green, who left Beaufort, South Carolina. And second most common are children looking for their parents and then children looking for siblings. She says that changed in the 20th century. As decades passed and children realized their parents likely died, ads shifted to siblings looking for other siblings. There were also ads being placed by older people trying to find children so they could pass land or money down before they died. So some of these ads say something like, I have some information that will be useful to them. These ads highlight the extraordinary ways people could hold onto information they likely never saw written down. Especially when they're small children, yet they were able to remember not only all those names, but also the names of slave traders, people who sold them. So so they remember you know, that they were sold by this one guy who had a jail in Richmond and they're giving you his name and you can actually find it. I, I, you know, I've been able to find these slave traders. But there were challenges. Names changed. African Americans might stop using their captor's last name, and women changed their name after marriage. Some people will list several different names for themselves in the advertisements. They'll say, I'm looking for my son, and my name is Margaret Smith. I used to be Margaret Tibbs. And I was enslaved by so-and-so Tibbs. And then I became free and I changed it to Margaret Smith. But then I got married and now my name is Margaret Jones. 
And so they'll list three different names in one advertisement. And sometimes they're spelled differently. Some people would also change their first name if they were assigned an offensive one at birth by an enslaver. Like third child or lucky or some awful diminutive. Ads were full of details in hopes something would connect to someone's memory. Like they'll say, exactly what county they lived in, even neighbors and stuff like that, because they're really calling on all resources. Is there any indication that these ads did work? That's the million dollar question with this project is how many of these 4,500 people who placed these ads were successful? And unfortunately, we don't have a good answer to that question because the only way we can know if they were successful is if they took out a follow-up ad in which they said, thank you to the Southwest Christian Advocate or thank you to Pastor Johnson for helping me because I found so-and-so. Of the 4,500 ads, only 92 of them show some type of reunion, but that might not be a reliable measure of success. It cost money to take out an ad, so a family may have gathered enough cash to place one, but they might not do it again to announce a reunion. This is striking because it reminds you that in the aftermath of the Civil War, when the country acknowledges the, the sin of slavery and institutes laws to prohibit it, there are no arrangements made to help people who were separated over decades and decades to find one another again. There was no you know, there was no UN refugee organization to, to, to help people, you know, reunite. The Freedman's Bureau was established in 1865 to assist African-Americans, but historians say it wasn't that helpful, leaving many to rely on private organizations and churches. Pastors were allies in this process. Not everyone could get mail at home, nor could everyone afford a P.O. box. A lot of the clergy were the only people who had post office boxes back then. Pastors had P.O. boxes because they had to get correspondence from their bishop and from other you know, folk as well. And so very often the clergy would allow members to use their access to their box and allow them to receive information on behalf of members. They would write the the ad for people. And so it's like, I'm so-and-so looking for this person, looking for that person. If you have any information, send it care of Reverend Jesse W. Divine, box number. Pastors often wrote the ads because not everyone could read or write. There's also this language built into these ads in which you're saying, pastors, read this to your congregations. Many of the ads were found in the Christian Recorder newspaper, which was preserved because Mother Bethel created a historical society in the 1900s. The Christian Recorder is arguably the oldest continuously printed African-American periodical. Now, I know there are other places like my good friend Bob Vogel at the Philadelphia Tribune will tell me that they are the oldest paper. Okay, I, I'm not going to even get into that debate. It's like, what's the first HBCU? Let's just say it is it is one of the oldest and definitely the oldest of a black church. It covered mundane things like who attended what event. However, because the black church has always had to be more than just a church, because there was there were very few places at that time that reported on things that were important to black people. It also covered everything else. Such as the Civil War effort. They would publish letters from black soldiers. They would publish anti-slavery pamphlets. And, you know, Frederick Douglass showed up here at this church. And it was just, it's a fascinating repository of black life. 
newspaper production exploded after the war. Within a few years of the end of the war, black communities throughout the South had engaged in rapid institution building. Not that they started from scratch, because of course there were black institutions in slavery as well, but when slavery was over, there were many more opportunities to sort of create black towns, build black churches. And start black newspapers. By the late 19th century, these newspapers are also central to Black advocacy. They're also a thread line in Black communities. One paper could be read by so many. Take the Christian Recorder, for example. Because so many United States Colored Troop soldiers were trained in Philadelphia, that Black newspaper got into their hands. And then wherever they went, wherever they were stationed to the South, they brought it with them. So one newspaper could hit multiple people. What newspapers once did, social media does today. The last thing that I need to hear while I'm showing y'all millions, literally, I'm not capping on that. If you're on black TikTok, you probably know this guy. Walter English is, is the government name. A.K.A. Walt Way, Walt the Poet, or former love poet. He's a spoken word artist, but recently became a genealogist of sorts. I started something called the Bristol English Project, which is named after my second great-grandfather, uh, Bristol English. What I do is I help American descendants of chattel slavery uh, reconnect with a history that is more than just chains and dreams. Watt helps African-Americans build their family history, showing how to navigate the patchwork of documents that can provide insight to Black lineage. He also provides a database of resources, and it's all free. Most people are just starting their journey, and when he helps them fill in the blanks, gratitude and tears. I get people who cry. I get people who, who send me messages to this day. They're thankful. They're so grateful. It feels like a piece been missing. That's a feeling he understands. I always loved history since I was a kid. So in 2011, he started doing his own family tree. He learned his ancestors had been enslaved by Captain Thomas Cassandra English out of Alabama. There were some challenges along the way, but Watt realized he was pretty good at this. So he started posting videos on TikTok, offering tips to anyone doing similar searches. Making content on TikTok, just showing off my family tree. And then everybody was like, wow, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, got you, got you. So I'm just trying to lead the way. And in December of 2021, one of his videos blew up. Because I shared the a slave schedule uh, that had Brister on there. And that video went viral. That was my first viral video, like one point something million views. I got hate and stuff from the trolls and all that and whatnot. But I got so many black people like, what, what, what's this? What's 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 this? Which what are you talking about? What's what's a population census? Because everybody thinks all this stuff is hidden, but I'm like, there's millions, millions of records out there. So just with social media blowing that up, I just kept telling more stories, and it's just more people kind of kind of hooked on. Social media helped him as well. It connected him with Chuck, a white man who was a descendant of the family that enslaved his family. Before I talked to Chuck, I end up uh, reaching out to a different descendant who um, was had a ton of information on Thomas Cassandra English. I'm like, hey, if you know anything, just let me know. He might have enslaved my family. Uh, that guy was extremely rude. He talked about how bad Frederick Douglass was. So he talked about how much of a, I ain't gonna use the words he used. And so I got nervous when I reached out to Chuck. I'm like, Chuck is an 80 year old man from Alabama. I'm like, what I'm about to, what I'm about to get. But uh, he's a historian himself and he was nothing but kind. He was nothing but helpful. He told me stories. And I'm just like, I'm looking at my family tree while he's telling me these names. And I'm just like, this is this is real. This is really 
happening. Chuck inspired Walt to create the Brister English Project. He goes down to New Orleans, um, help the Creole people down there with their ancestry for free. He old school with it. He goes into these historical locations and getting documents and stuff, but like he does it all for free for them. So I was just like, if he can do it, I can, I can do it for my people. And it feels good, especially when he helps young people. The kid was like 17 who started his. And just excited. Like, look what I found. Look what I did. I did all this. But learning about your ancestry is a mixed bag of emotions. That's why he often offers a trigger warning saying, how much do you want to know? Oh, you get hit with so much. You you see the, the stuff that make you smile and make you happy. Finding out Brista is buried on the land that he owned down in Alabama. And the family still, that land is still in the family. But then there's the other side of stuff where um, seeing that your third great grandmother and, your, uh, and her father were a part of a breeding farm down in uh, Georgia. Like you see all kinds of little stuff. These documents tell stories. Cause I get angry, I get sad. I, I kind of tense up before I look at every death certificate, especially seeing the ages, the, the newspaper articles I come across. It's a lot. That's why I tell people the stove is hot. Just be careful when you, when you when, when touching this. Walt relies on donations and grants for his work. Same with the Last Scene Project, and for similar reasons. Dr. Giesberg says each ad represents a moment of commodification. In which a human being was sold away from their family members, and a transaction in which somebody profited, or somebody's profited, from the treating of a human being as chattel property. What struck me about discovering these advertisements in these pay-for services that are available in research libraries is that, in essence, what we're doing in keeping these advertisements behind paywalls is we are you know, perpetrating the same crime, I would say, in keeping information about people's genealogy behind paywalls, to me, is unconscionable. She says to continue to commodify people and their families in this way runs counter to the Last Scene Project. That's why she repeatedly turned down partnerships with for-profit companies. These family stories belong to these families, to the descendants of enslaved people, you know, who should not have to pay to find out who their ancestors were. The Last Scene Project features a map of all the locations connected to an ad. These ads tell a unique American story. It traces the forced migration, but it also highlights the extent of the African diaspora. Information wanted of my beloved mother, Christian Anne Belgrove. Ads from the Caribbean, Canada, Europe, Liberia, and West Africa when it was a colony. Where people either, you know, were sort of part of this experiment of colonization or they went there on their own because they had lost hope that anything was ever going to change in the United States. And then the moment they had the opportunity, they sought their family members. And then some really surprising uh, and amazing stories that come to us from the Caribbean. There's an ad in there where a woman describes a slave rebellion uh, and she's writing from Jamaica. And so she's lived her whole life in Jamaica and her grandmother was on board one of these ships. Her grandmother passed along to her the information about how they wound up in Jamaica. And then she's in an ad saying, we're trying to find our other family members who are in the United States. There's ads in China or that mention China. She's working with educators to implement these ads into the classroom. They offer a perspective that's usually not found in slavery teachings from the minds and hearts of enslaved people. 90% of what we use to teach the history of slavery in K through 12 schools and, and colleges too 
is materials produced by enslavers. So account books, diaries, letters, all of those things are produced by enslavers. These ads, on the other hand, show a strength of people who survived an institution intended to strip them of their humanity. I feel like we need it, especially what we get taught in schools. It's the thing of when I hear, when I go to history class, I know about the Revolutionary War. We can talk about X, Y, and Z. We don't see ourselves in those history books. We don't see ourselves owning land here, here, and here. We don't talk about the colored infantry. It's it's seeing us in, in more than this negative light. It's giving people, it's giving people hope. It's, it's connecting people. It's something healing about it. It's like, wow, okay, this is where I come from. He offers advice for anyone starting their journey into ancestry. Number one, I'm going to say take breaks. You may come across some scary Freedmen Bureau records, death certificates, and sometimes newspaper articles. People don't talk about the Reconstruction era. When I say it failed, they, hunt, they, they hunted us for a, a good portion. They, they burnt our houses down. And so those are very detailed because there was a separate records for us, for black people. Our ancestors give us hints about who we are. A great-grandmother who is a dancer can explain why a child as young as four can command an audience. And a preacher in the 1800s who spoke out against slavery can explain a preacher today who speaks out against injustice. After the election in 1871 or 72, where the first time Black people voted in mass, they tried to steal the election in Arkansas, and he was an election judge. And so there's a full deposition of him being deposed by the Congress to tell the account of how Black people were being disenfranchised with their vote in Arkansas. And so each time I see one of these stories, it just brings me, you know, like to the point of tears. Here is my ancestor out doing all of these amazing things and, you know, making his mark in the world. It's humbling. It makes me feel that if he could do this with limited resources, how much more should I do now, given the access that I have, the abilities that I have, and the ways in which I can move around the country and the world, ways that he could have never, ever imagined. And his great, 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 great grandfather's work is even more inspiring, considering how dangerous it was for black preachers to visit churches in slave-holding states. Many black preachers, the stories untold, who were beaten, who were attacked, and oftentimes lost their lives as well, simply for just going to preach because the larger society understood that they were also about all of these other parts of this resistance movement. They had to go get a bond, a, a legal bond as free people saying that they would not go down to try to dismantle slavery, that you're just coming here for work. I'm not surprised then to know that these are the things that my ancestor was involved in as an AME preacher, and that these are some of the same things that I'm drawn into, except that it's the 21st century version of it. So whether it's police accountability, or continuing to lift up our voice for all forms of systemic oppression and white supremacy in all the different ways that it looks, it's the same struggle. Same struggle, but these ads paint a different picture. For so long, the Black family has been maligned as dysfunctional and that within the Black family, no one wants to be together and we just walk away from each other without any care and concern. First of all, that doesn't take into account the history itself, right? Because there's not one group of people in America that has ever had the same experience with regard to family as black people. 
He says undeniably atrocities happened to others, but their families weren't attacked in the same way black families were. Like literally as a father, you were just a breeder. As a mother, you were just a breeder. And that you two could be forced together to have a child and neither of you would even know where the child went afterwards because the child was the property of the owner who simply needed the child to make money. So for hundreds of years, up until the end of the Civil War, that was the state of the black family, that at any moment, the person you chose to be your spouse could be taken from you without your say. Your child could be taken without your say. Your parent could be taken without your say. Is there any wonder that we have issues today? And yet, in spite of all of that, the very first thing black families start to do at the end of the Civil War is to try to find one another. Reverend Tyler shares a beautiful story that highlights this connection of family. Picture this. 1840s and AME members are on a boat going from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, heading to a church gathering. Bishop Payne tells the story as they're on this little boat. One of the guys who is one of the servants, one of the black men who's a servant on the boat, he's like one of the uh, stewards. They get to talking and one of the preachers that's with the AMEs and this man find out that they are long lost brothers who had been separated as children in slavery. The tears that were shed on that boat that night. You know, they just kept talking about how this was nothing but God. You know, these ads point to stories like that time and time again, where people never gave up. I mean, Hollywood should love this story, right? I mean, isn't this the, the story where someone is separated and they cross hell and high water to find their loved one? Well, this is what regular everyday black people did every single day. And it defies everything that we're told today about the black family. When I think about Juneteenth, I think about family. Because what is freedom without the people you love? Thanks so much for listening to Beyond Black History Month. If you're enjoying our show, please rate and review our podcast. We're available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode is a special production of 1010 Winds Radio, WCBS News Radio 880 and 94.7 The Block. Special thanks to producers Dempsey Pilat, Jill Webb, and Andy Egan Thorpe, who is also our sound engineer. Skip Dillard is the 94.7 The Block brand manager. Tim Schaud is the WCBS News Radio brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Winds brand manager and I'm Famie Redwood. Thanks for listening. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. 
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.